Good morning. From the newsroom of the Financial Times, today is Friday, March 15th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The eyes to the right, 412. The nose to the left, 202. So the eyes have it. The eyes have it. Unlocked. That's the UK House of Commons voting to try and push back the Brexit deadline beyond March 29th. Later, FT editorial director and UK political commentator Robert Shrimsley will wrap up this big week in Brexit and tell us what to expect in the coming weeks. But first, two top Facebook executives are set to leave the social network, Google faces yet another fine from Brussels, and the US Senate votes to block President Donald Trump's declaration of an emergency at the Mexican border. I'm Eric Krepke, and here's the news you need to start your day. Two top Facebook executives are leaving the social network, according to a blog post by chief executive Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook's chief product officer Chris Cox and WhatsApp head Chris Daniels are on their way out. Chris Cox has played an instrumental role in building Facebook. He was among the company's first software engineers when he joined in 2005. Head of WhatsApp, Chris Daniels, has been in the role for almost a year. It's been less than a year since Mark Zuckerberg reorganized his executive team. That reorganization led to Mr. Cox having all of Facebook's main app teams report to him and to Mr. Daniels becoming head of WhatsApp. The departures also come in the midst of a bad year for Facebook. This week, Facebook blamed a server change for causing an hours-long outage, the longest mass outage in Facebook history. And federal prosecutors in New York are pursuing a criminal investigation into data deals between Facebook and other large technology companies. Facebook has previously confirmed that it's cooperating with the SEC and Justice Department investigations related to the Cambridge Analytica scandal last year. The UK data company was accused of improperly accessing Facebook user data. Facebook has also been under increased pressure from EU regulators on issues such as user privacy, political advertising, combating fake news, and competition concerns. Earlier this month, Facebook announced a radical shift in its business, where user messages on the platform would be private. But privacy activists said that new plan still doesn't address worries over how Facebook uses and shares user data. And big tech continues to face scrutiny elsewhere. Google is set to be hit with another fine from regulators in Brussels. The FT reports that EU Competition Commissioner Marguerite Vestager is expected to announce next week that Google will be fined for hampering potential rival search advertisers. The fine follows an investigation that's focused on Google's AdSense business. AdSense places its search box on third-party websites. EU officials worry that Google artificially reduced choice and stifled innovation by contractually restricting how third-party websites display search ads from rivals. The EU case centers on Google demands that were introduced in 2006. The demands required a number of popular third-party websites to use its ad service exclusively if they wanted to include the Google search box on their website. This case is the latest antitrust showdown between the EU and Google. Google has already paid 7 billion euros in EU penalties to date for two other cases, which the tech giant is appealing. EU antitrust officials are expected to continue to scrutinize Google's behavior in other services, such as dedicated search for travel, jobs, and local businesses. That means Google could be subject to fresh probes. The yeas are 59. The nays are 41. The joint resolution is passed. And on Thursday, the Republican-led U.S. Senate issued a rebuke of President Trump's border wall, and it pitted the president against some of the most prominent members of his own party. Last month, Mr. Trump declared a national emergency at the Mexican border, 
allowing him to access funds to start construction of the wall. But yesterday, the Senate voted to block the president's declaration of an emergency. In total, 12 Republicans voted for the measure. After the vote, the president responded with a one-word tweet, veto. The measure passed by the Senate has already been approved by the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives. Now Mr. Trump has to either sign the legislation into law or issue the first veto of his presidency. The Senate and the House could override the veto. That would require two-thirds of both chambers. But that appears unlikely to happen. It's been a big week in Brexit. The FT's Robert Trimsley, who has been watching the action unfold in Westminster, is here to explain it all and to tell us what to look for in the coming weeks. I think the fundamental thing that's happened this week is that Parliament has now confirmed that Britain will ask to delay Brexit, that Theresa May will go to the European Council next week and request that the Brexit date of March 29th be postponed. The fundamental question now is merely how long it's postponed for. There are two options here. The first is that she simply asks for a short delay till the end of June in the hope that she can still get her twice-defeated deal through and that this is essentially what has been referred to as a technical delay just to tidy things up. The second option, however, is if she can't, that she goes for a much, much longer delay, a year or more, during which time Britain rethinks its approach to the way it will conduct Brexit and the future relationship it will have with the European Union and also may yet consider the possibility of having a second referendum. Obviously, it's still for the European Union to grant those delays, but most people would expect that it would. So will Mrs. May go back to Brussels and try to renegotiate the deal? No, it doesn't really. I mean, she may well still look for little tweaks here and there. But her current plan, amazingly, is to bring her deal back to the House of Commons early next week, probably on Tuesday, and say to MPs, have another go at this. She lost by 230 votes on the first go. She lost by 149 votes this week. There's quite a lot of evidence that some of the hardliners are beginning to crack and that she'll get that number down again. It's certainly not yet clear that she's going to get it down by enough to win. And amazingly, there are people in Downing Street still talking about a fourth attempt. So she certainly hasn't given up on this. Is there anything actually different about the deal that they'll vote on next week? Fundamentally, no. It's the same thing. What's changed is it's becoming increasingly apparent to her own Brexit hardliners that nothing that happens will make life better for them, that whatever comes next is likely to be a softer Brexit, a heavily delayed Brexit, or no Brexit at all. And they are beginning to realise this. Some MPs also hoped to hold indicative votes on Thursday. What are those? So the fundamental fact about the way the House of Commons works is that the government controls the timetable of events and there's very few things that can be discussed or debated within the House of Commons unless the government wants them to be debated. There are exceptions, but not very many. What that happened today was an attempt by parliamentarians to take control of the parliamentary agenda, the parliamentary timetable, an extremely unusual move. And they came within two votes of seceding, but they did fail. What that would have meant is that they had taken control of the timetable to hold what they call indicative votes to indicate support for other forms of Brexit or a second referendum, for example. It could be the so-called Norway model, which is staying in the single market. It could be a permanent customs union or other things. They wanted to test support for all these other options. They failed by the narrowest of margins to get to that. On the other hand, the government has already promised that it will hold those votes, but just not till after the European summit. Is there any most likely scenario here or are things just kind of up in the air? I'm afraid that for over two years, there has never been a most likely scenario. There are only least improbable scenarios. I think that it is still 
perfectly possible that she is going to get her deal through in the end, whether she gets it through next time, who knows. The only thing I think you can say with some degree of certainty is that the prospect of Britain exiting without any deal receded significantly this week. And while even that cannot yet be ruled out completely, it's become much less likely this week. And what's next here? What are you watching for? Well, I mean, the big next is when Theresa May brings this vote back yet again next week. We're looking to see if she's got enough support to get it through, or at least to make such huge inroads into the scale of the defeat to make it her think that it's worth having a fourth attempt. One of the things to watch for, I think, is the attitude of the Northern Irish Democratic Unionist Party, the government's partner, the people whose votes keep the government afloat. They've been very hostile to the deal all the way through because of the so-called Irish backstop. There have been more conciliatory noises coming from in the last couple of days, but certainly nothing yet to suggest they're about to get on board with it. Were they to do so, however, I think that would be a major moment in Theresa May's chances of getting this deal through. So the two things to watch for are what they do and then the vote early next week. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back on Monday for all the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon, Amy Keene, and me, Eric Krupke. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. Robert Shrimsley is editorial director for the Financial Times. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.